Welcome to the Sci-Fi Contrast with Vince and Jeff. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Sci-Fi Crunch Roast. My name is Vince, and with me is Jeff. Hey. Today we're going to do a couple of newer films in the sci-fi genre. The first one we're going to tackle is a film called Avatar. It was put out in 2009. It was written and directed by James Cameron, and it stars Sam Worthington and Zoe Saldana. Yeah, so let's jump right into it uh, with the, the plot, the story, the writing, the pacing. What did you think about the, the writing on this? Oh, man, I, I'm a huge Cameron fan, so I yeah. obviously love the writing. Um, I, I don't think Cameron misses a beat. Uh, I think he does really, really well. I've been a fan since the Terminator days. Uh, and uh, I think it's crown jewels. Yeah, Terminator. oh, for sure. But yeah, this, this was no exception. I thought everybody was written very, very well, and uh, I really, really enjoyed this film. Had a good time with this one. Yeah, I agreed with that, and I didn't think I was going to coming into the movie. I, I had been spoiled by lots of people saying a lot of different things. Mm. Uh, I can I can point out a few things I didn't like okay. uh, right off the bat were the, the tropes. We had a few of them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Sigourney Weaver had a few trope lines right off the bat. Uh, like, the last thing I need, uh, talking about the main character, Sully. Right. And tell me you're joking. Just two <laughs> really Sigourney Weaver type of lines. Absolutely, it does. But, I mean, kind of all sci-fi movies have tropes. Um, True. You, you're not really going to get away from them because, you know, they sell tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the most part. But I get where you're coming from, though. It, uh, it's the kind of thing that they do in, like, every freaking movie. And it's like, right. almost as bad as, I'll be back. Oh, yes. Thank you, Arnold, for starting that sucker. Actually, thank you, James, for starting yes. James Cameron. That's another James one Cameron, of his things. once again. Yeah, um, the, uh, but, yeah, they they got to be in there. I, I think you'll agree with me, at least on this, that even even though they're there and they are kind of tiresome, they're done well. For the most part. And yeah. they kept them towards the beginning. Right, For the right. most part. Let's again. get them all out of the way type of thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, the biggest trope and the most obvious trope was everything to do with the Colonel Miles. Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. they really sold him right off the bat as uh, I'm the badass uh, asshole over the top hard ass commander guy and absolutely you know I'm so hardcore and it stuck the whole movie and they sold what he was gonna be well yeah it was definitely over the top there's no doubt about that and I think maybe they did that because this was like almost his crowning jewel because he talks about when he comes to Pandora he's uh, he's kind of a snot nosed grunt so to speak. And he works his way up to become the director of security there, and this is this is kind of his moment to shine, right. or or crash. And there's no way any son of a bitch is going to let him crash. <laughs> at the, this is his deal; he's going to own this, especially not not punk like uh, Jake Sully. Not going to happen. Yeah, you for sure get that. Yeah. You know I mean, the real world analogs come up too, uh, following the tropes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this is something that I thought I was going to be unhappy with, and actually was really happy with. Okay. It's so easy, I think, when you have a message. I think James Cameron sort of had a message here he was getting across. For sure. It's really easy to be kind of ham-fisted and just shove that message right in your face. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Uh, he did it a little more subtly, though, um, mm -hmm. I think, personally. I um, do. I, I agree with you. But he, but he definitely got the message across, even so much so to where you see the uh, big wheelie 
Uh, again, with the big wheelies, but the big wheelie uh, uh, strip miners, they were just strip mining different sections of, of Pandora. Yeah. And, and then you find out that the whole goal of this thing is to get at the unobtainium underneath uh, home tree. Right, which, which really isn't unobtainium anymore, because I noticed they have some of it. So it's obtainium they have, they have now. Ob, ob, rarely obtainable. They, yes, yeah. they have obtained unobtainium. <laughs> right. Awesome name. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. You screwed up on that one, didn't you? <laughs> You're such a silly man. <laughs> and uh, they, had, uh, they had a lot of real-world analogs. Mm -hmm. They had that benefit they mentioned right off the bat early on in the yep. movie. Yeah, that was pretty sn slick how they snuck that in. I liked it. I did make a big deal out of it. Just said, hey, rich people can fix this. I, I'm not rich. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm going back to work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's something you hear about a lot these days in the real world. Uh, the environmental destruction, corporate greed, and displacement of native people, I think, really are all the analogs that we try to yeah. put yeah. in. To go back for a second there uh, yeah. to, the, uh, to the vet benefits sort of thing, I really liked the uh what did you call it when we were discussing the noirish uh beginning where yes. uh yeah yes he really took on massive noir opening it was yeah. great though that because you don't hear that voiceover the voiceover opening of that kind very often in films uh -huh. uh, and to have it done in this uh in this sort of setup was really really interesting yeah only in the beginning though yeah by the time you get to the video logs he gets a little bit more loose about his delivery of his life history his experiences yeah yeah i got the idea and it, maybe you got something different i got the idea that uh you know at the beginning it was just some kind of voiceover and you're you're maybe hearing some kind of inner monologue but then when you see him recording the voice the the video logs you're like oh that's what's going on all of this voiceover at the beginning was a video log entry maybe. i, I yeah. get it now okay and that's why once they showed that it was that was all i had to do nix that now we can go on to some real storytelling you know what? I think I agree with that. Mm. That is probably what they were doing there. And uh, one of my favorite scenes, I, and I, I know I haven't even mentioned this to you yet, one of my favorite scenes is one of the first video logs he's doing where he is unsure of himself because I thought his acting on that uh, was really good. Sam Worthington, mm -hmm. who played Jack Sully, did really good acting at that moment that stood out to me. Okay. Um, so yeah, we, we've got Jake and we've got his buddy Norm. Uh, we meet them fairly early in the film. Norm's kind of a interesting doofus at the beginning. Then he turns into a real jackass and then, and then comes back to interesting doofus again. I thought he had kind of a, a different sort of character arc there, but he ended the film well. Yes, he did end the film well, although I think they left a bit of that unresolved because they, they got him out of the trailer, uh, which we'll talk about later. There's a trailer with the bodies of the human bodies that are running the avatars. Right. Jake gets knocked out of his avatar body by a bullet, and then he vacates. Jake, not Jake, not Jake. Norm, no, not Jake. You're right, Norm. You're absolutely <laughs> Don't right. Don't get anybody Norm. confused. No, 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 not yes, Jake. No, that's my job is to confuse you all. No, Norm <laughs> vacates the area with a gun like he's going to do some hard-ass stuff. He's about to just be a hero. And then we don't see him again until the end of the movie. <laughs> He was off doing hero shit. Right. Well, you can assume. Mm -hmm. Or he tripped and took a nap. You don't know. You don't know. They left that unfulfilled. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> a trip and took a nap. You know, we're on acting now for sure. This okay. is the second yeah. topic that we wanted to talk about. And two people I wanted to talk about for sure was Zoe Saldana and Sigourney Weaver. Oh, man. And let's talk about Zoe for a second. Oh, How many people can watch this film and not know that's Zoe Saldana? 
I don't I didn't know that was always so loud. Right? I didn't. My I, wife didn't. They paint her so much. Why why are they always painting Zoe so loud? Well, she wasn't painted in Star Trek. No, but they got right back to it with Guardians of the Galaxy. Fair enough. Yeah. They painted her twice, which is more well, often she, than most. She was green in Guardians of the Galaxy. She was green, yeah. she was blue in this. Uh, she's going to go through the spectrum of colors. <laughs> so, <laughs> we should look for maybe, what, orange next time? Or, yeah, yeah, or yellow. Or, yellow could know, be yellow. Yeah. But I love Zoe, though. She did great in that. It doesn't matter what color she is. She's a great <laughs> actress. <laughs> yes, she is. Uh, Zoe Saldana did great. So, um, Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver, like yes. the matron of sci-fi, right? Yeah. She was just so Sigourney Weaver in it. Yeah. It's like John Wayne. John Wayne in all of his roles is incredibly John Wayne. Sigourney Weaver in her sci-fi roles is very Sigourney Weaver. So setting aside the sci-fi aspect of it for a second, mm-hmm. and we're going to delve into more of the filmmaking, I have to express my absolute joy and amazement at how Sigourney Weaver she was mm-hmm. while doing her motion capture for her mm-hmm. avatar body because you look at her face and instantly you look at this 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 avatar face and instantly know that's Sigourney Weaver you, you didn't have to hear her voice more so than Sam Worthington yes yeah. much more so than Sam Worthington you know man uh, okay here we go I'm just gonna say this Sam Worthington not all I expected no acting wise oh acting wise oh. he was he was very very flat in this film, he's very two-dimensional. I thought personally. No, I'll be honest. I, I sort of agree with you. I didn't think about it until this moment when you said it, but nothing about what he did stood out. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't no. necessarily great. It was not yeah. Sigourney Weaver. No, it was not Sigourney Weaver. It was not Zoe Saldana. No. Oh, she way overacted him. Uh, yeah. What way. Do you, what do you think about Colin Fisher as Norm? Um. He wasn't bad. I mean, he he did a great job what he did because, you know, like I said, he started out to be this happy-go-lucky dork. And then, you know, he's been planning for this thing for years. He's been training. He's got all kinds of missions under his belt. And then here comes Jake, this this, this doofus that nobody knows. He's only here because his brother was in the program. And, uh, you know, I think he was expecting to kind of be the lead over Jake. But then Jake gets chosen by the Na'vi. And now Norm's almost out of the picture. Yeah. And he was pissed about that. He was a little dick yeah. about it. And, you know, later on, I get it. He he kind of comes to terms with everything and understands it's not a personal issue. It's just how things happened. Do you, do you know that, though? No. Do you know if that's why he turned around? He may have turned around just because that was the best thing for him at that moment. He did, did a little soul searching and says, okay, I need to not be such an asshole. Yeah. But Maybe. if the opportunity arises again, <laughs> he could be an asshole again. He'll be an asshole. Well, yeah. He'll be an asshole. I think that uh, goes without saying for most of us. Uh, myself, I definitely yeah. know I'm there. So, but you know, nevertheless, he did. He did exactly what needed to be done. He made right. you believe he was a nice little dork, and then a complete jerk, and then a nice little dork again. You believed in that character. Yeah. With Sully, I was just like the most emo- most emotion you saw out of him was when he was angry. Yeah, yeah, no. I didn't really buy his romance. No, I mean, his romance bothered me. By the way, it was creeper romance. It was very creeper romance. Uh, he was getting with a blue person. The blue person bothered you. He was driving. Did did uh, Natiri? That was her name. Yeah. Did Natiri really know what she was getting into? Was she making well, an informed decision when she was plugging up with him? Yes, I'm gonna yes. say I'm gonna say yes. Did the 
they do they know what these little yeah. people oh, look yeah. like? Yeah, yeah, they know because because Grace had a school. If you if you recall from the dialogue, Grace had a school there at Home Tree for a while. Yeah. So they're aware, and you can see the differences. Um, for instance, I, I I was reading this while I was watching the film. Um, their eyes. If you look at the eyes of an actual uh, Navi, it's more of a lemur shape, ovalish, mm-hmm. and the the human uh, Navi hybrids are more human looking. The human Navi hybrids have a central ridge on their nose where the Navi don't. Oh, yeah, these I are things. These things. Yeah, yeah, these are things. And uh, well, I mean, we're not going to notice them unless you are looking for stuff like that. I'm sure. Right. But I'm talking a native people who sees all of the native people all the time. And they know what it looks like. When they see something different, they're going to know. Hey, yeah. you look a little different than me. I mean, for for an example, you can easily tell the difference between a Caucasian and an Asian. Fair enough. And I think that's kind of where this was at in the film. The the indigenous Navi could easily tell the difference between another indigenous Navi and uh, a splice. I suppose. Uh, my biggest worry was that she didn't know what his pink little body looked like. <laughs> <laughs> that's my concern. You make, it, you make it sound very dirty. <laughs> it was dirty. It was dirty. They were plugging up together, which is one of the oddest things in the movie is you plug up with you interface with everything if you're a native to this planet yeah yeah that's yeah. well that's the whole electrical or bioelectrical thing that they're actually they're supposed to be studying is how everything interfaces together and it's all one big neural network yeah in fact that brings us to the flora and fauna mm-hmm. of this which might be the centerpiece for this yeah world. i i would wholeheartedly agree at, at least that that's what cameron wanted I think so. What he was shooting for. Everything was was uh, very much like it came from the same world. Most things had six legs. Mm-hmm. Most things had eyes in the same spot and generally the same shape. Uh, you had the head, the hammerhead rhinosaur, which I think they called titanosaurs or something. <laughs> and uh, those were awesome, right? Uh, the hexapede stern beast, fan lizards, dire horses, the viper wolves, all of these things were six-legged creatures that shared similar, what you would say, aquatic-looking. Very creatures. aquatic. There was a lot of aquatic-looking stuff, and uh, and I think that came on purpose because I know that uh, looking at some of the special features and, and different things that I've seen online, I know that uh, Cameron actually looked to the oceans for. Uh, inspiration for these beasts. Matter of fact, the little spiral thingy flowers that when Jake yeah. was first in the forest and he touched it, right, and it sucked back into his head. We have something like that on Earth. Yeah, L- literally, it's underwater. But if anything gets near it, it sucks back into itself. Which is really neat. We have we have close analogs on land too. Things mm-hmm. that you can touch that'll change them. Like the uh, touch me nots. I believe it is. You touch them, it's got seeds everywhere. Right. Yep. And and. Uh, Venus flytrap. Venus flytrap, yeah. Of course. What else did you have under uh, the flora and fauna? What else struck you as, as interesting? It was beautiful. It was absolutely, absolutely beautiful. So many colors, right? Absolutely gorgeous. Holy cow. Oh. And this kind of lends itself to photography and, uh, uh, what's the other word? I'm CGI? Thinking? Hmm? CGI? No. Mm-hmm. Um, CGI uh, creature. Photography, filmmaking, that kind of thing. Uh, or design. Yeah. There was a lot of design elements went into these creatures. I mean, they're, you know they had a huge team working on it, and I think everybody oh, definitely yeah. uh, did their best, and it shows in the uh, yeah. videography. You know what? Something else does stand out. Mm-hmm. 
These creatures are huge. Everything. Everything was huge. And yeah. I I wanted to think about that for a second. Because it's got a little tear showing you that larger creatures aren't the way to go. We have our larger creatures more likely to be in Africa, where there's lots of open space. Right. In our jungles, it's massive numbers of creatures. So somehow in their jungles, they have big stuff. Okay. So let's look at our world first. Um, the larger yeah. creatures do tend to live out in the more open areas, but they, I think they hunt in the jungle areas because that's where a lot of creatures live. Some do, some don't. Right. Some of the uh, elephants stay toward the north and mid-African regions, while the yeah. jungles kind of more southern. I think so. Not a, I'm not uh, a geographer. We are definitely not. This is not <laughs> our main expertise. But I am a Pandora guy, and I can say Pandora, <laughs> from what we saw in the film, I mean, they did have desert. Because remember when it, later in the film when they, they went out their separate ways and they were recruiting Navi from all over the world, mm. you saw some desert areas there. Yeah. Um, but I think that the animals that lived in the jungle found it very difficult to live anywhere else. You you live all your life and you and you're and you're evolved in the, to live in a jungle. You're it's hard to go live in a desert. Yeah, so that makes sense. But on the flip side, you have these like you said the, the what was it the Titano whatever which one the hammerhead yeah thing? the hammerhead thing. I call it the hammerhead rhinosaur that is unconfirmed as a name. <laughs> <laughs> hey hammerhead rhinosaur so works for me. Titanotherus. Uh, but yeah. so that was a gigantic animal living yeah. in a fairly close confined quarters in the uh in the in the jungle yeah that was. you you know it had to have problems just moving sideways to pick a pee without knocking <laughs> over a tree <laughs> that's what i would think <laughs> I, I totally agree there was a lot of for it to be a jungle there was a lot of low hanging plants mm -hmm. uh, but there was also a lot of space which did separate it from our jungles like in south america which are just Height, uh, with greenery, right? There was a lot more open space, and and it, it does make me wonder if there was a connection to the fact that this world is almost a brain or a computer. It's possible, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we they they do talk about the scientists talk about how the uh, biological energy is is transmitted through the roots mm -hmm. from one tree to another tree. Uh, I don't know how that works out in the desert. Right? Um, is it sentient? Oh, we have the desert. Yeah, what a planet is the planet sentient? Yeah, is this Ooh. is this like Eco, the living planet from the Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy two movie? I'm gonna say no. You don't think so? I, I don't think the planet is sentient. I think that it's a massive network where information is shared. It's kind of like a big computer. Yeah. Information can be shared from node to node over this network, but it doesn't have sentience in and of itself. I like to think it's a computer or a brain. Okay, it's a sentient brain. I mean, maybe it could be. They they didn't really show a whole lot of evidence for that in the film. But then again, we've got uh, four more films coming up. Right. So uh, yeah, twenty twenty one. I think is the next something one. like that. Yeah, twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see where Cameron yeah. takes this quintilogy of films. Yeah, yeah it's supposed to be a trilogy now. It's like <laughs> it's gone crazy. But you really have that that number of ideas. Enough ideas. Well, I mean, spread out over five films. Star Wars had nine. We got the ninth film in Star Wars coming up, so I think there's I think there's a lot of places he could take it. Um, I mean, they don't even have to stay on Pandora. Who says this race is native to Pandora? We could explore the uh, we could explore the the origins of it in the next film and find out they're from a completely different planet. 
that became inhospitable and they flew to Pandora somehow and then decided that this was best for them and so they destroyed all their stuff and became quote unquote natives. They sure seem like a younger race. Hmm. They're not technologically advanced. I didn't get that at all. Um, Especially when they were doing the rituals and you saw, you know, they've got so many of the, uh, what is it, the Tree of Souls. They've got so many of those different locations where they can tie into the trees and communicate and everything else. I No, I got that, I got that this was a fairly old race. Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I don't know, because they are, they had no technology technological right. strides. So how do they stay where they were? Is it because they were warring? Was it lack of resources? I don't think it was lack of resources. It looks like that place had a lot of resources. Yeah, I would say they just, right there. They did not have to drive a human. Maybe they, they just didn't have a biological instinct to progress like we did. Right. Well, I mean, I think their religion slash biology with the soul trees and everything else I think they just grasped onto that, whether whether they were originally from that planet or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they just grasped onto that, and they said, "Hey, this is this is pretty original and neat, and we work well with it. I think we just need to follow this as our mm-hmm. as our path." But but that leads me back to: Are they native or not? Here's an argument for they're native. I don't think that if they came from a different planet, they would have the whatever you call the tendrils or yeah, things in their hair. They could they, interface with all. If they came from a different planet, how could they interface with this planet's stuff on, right. on such a neurological level? Yeah, you're talking about the thing that looked like a ponytail, but mm-hmm. it wasn't a ponytail. It was like a cord. Right. Uh, but it wasn't a cord because it didn't really have any place to plug in, but it did. It had those tendrils. It was a very bizarre sort of thing. It was really bizarre. It opened up at the end, and yeah. the tendrils came out like, like something out of Cthulhu. It was weird, <laughs> yes. It was very weird. The first time I saw that, I was like, whoa. But on the flip side, here's something I thought was hilarious. Yeah. When uh, Jake wakes up in his body and he's playing with those things, and Grace says, stop playing with that, you're going to go blind. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? And then later on in the film, you're like, oh, that's what uh, that means. Yeah. That also, <laughs> but that also bothers me, uh, because apparently that's the way they kind of appropriate nasty. Yeah. I, I would think with their little uh, the one scene where that happened, of course, Cameron gave us no insight into it. There was trees no. and everything all around. We couldn't see anything that was going on, and I'm like, now I'll never know. Yeah, <laughs> some of us just don't want to. <laughs> right. But they they also plugged up with the animals, so which the which they consider sex. Right. Very so that's similar. why I'm thinking that maybe it wasn't sex. That little thingy wasn't sex all on its own. Maybe it was a, a a physical copulation plus sharing the mind. Sure. I hope. Yes. I hope. So do I. <laughs> On to a different topic. Um, yes. Uh, let's, let's talk let's, about, let's talk about, I want to find out how the destruction of Home Tree, I want to find out what you thought of that. I mean, just everything. How do you feel about what they did? How do you feel it was portrayed? Uh, everything. Just go. I had two thoughts regarding that. Okay. On one side, uh, I thought there was a really emotional scene where the, the matriarch of the tribe mm. uh, just comes to Sully and you know, says, cuts him down to, to save us. Right. If you're one of us, yeah, to save help us. us. Yeah, that's really desperate. That tugged at my heartstrings. Absolutely. On the other side, Sully, now with his freedom, ran out and screamed, go, go, go! <laughs> As if that 
that helped anything. That never helped anything. Uh, it's a pointless thing to do. Why are you doing that, Sully? Do you, yeah. do you think that really helped? And that brings me to the next thing, because he has betrayed everyone. He didn't even help there, not for real. And then he makes everything up uh, better by bringing a bird. Yeah, well, yes, yeah. <laughs> he brings a bird. It wasn't hey, just guys, a bird. Hey, guys, I, I betrayed you, and um, <laughs> now I've got a bird. You're okay with me. It's all good. He wasn't. He wasn't asking. He wasn't asking. He, he was just like walked right through. Right. He, that he was his way of them to. Yeah, that was his way of saying, "Hey, I have <laughs> I, not just I have a bird. I have the bird. The bird. Right. It's the like last guy up, that had the bird. It's yeah, like he, showing up to a horse ranch with a unicorn. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. That's kind of a, a unicorn and an M16. It's yeah, like you're gonna yeah, get whatever you want. <laughs> you're gonna get whatever you want. But maybe not for the reason. Yeah. But I see, don't they know. explained that earlier in the movie. You know, the the Taruk Makto or whatever the the guy's name was, writer of whatever. I mean, nobody could ride this thing, and so when somebody did, they in their in their uh, tribal, air quotes, primitive way of thinking, they were like, oh, this dude must be somebody special. We got to pay attention to everything he has to say. He's going. He's the bringer of light, sort of, kind of. A little bit. Yeah. They established that right away so that when Sully did get ousted by the tribe, he had a way back in. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out, do I believe that really is enough? Um, you, you kind of fucked over the whole tribe, buddy. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, kind of, you could have told him at any time, hey, these guys are going to come and mess up your world. And uh, yeah. he didn't. And the home tree got destroyed. Yeah. And it's all good because he brought a bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wasn't the only one who rode an unexpected creature. Hey, who else? Uh, our friend Zoe Saldana, her character, replaced, uh, rode the Thanato towards the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. And they made a big deal out of that. It was a really cool fight between the mech and the thing that looks like it's a... Folks, look up a displacer beast. They're, they're exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. But it was a great fight between the Thanato and the mech. Okay, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, whether we buy it or not, the the plans people clearly bought it, and Natiri uh, Natiri right. bought it like a hard hard because I mean she was screaming and yelling at him, telling him, "Take your shit and get." Out. Yeah, like you I know, hate she, you. Oh, you've got a bird. I love you. <laughs> Obviously, I have an issue. With this. <laughs> uh, see, I'm going more towards I hate you. Oh, you've got a bird. You must be the savior of our people, according to our legends. And I'm allowed to love you again. <laughs> yes, and I'm allowed to love you again. You know, the mech suits were cool. The mech suits were seriously cool. And yeah, what did you think of the tech in this movie? Uh, you know, I, that, and this is the thing that I that I love about science fiction is the science aspect of it. Uh, we've gone into that in, mm -hmm. in some other things. But uh, no, the tech in this movie was fantastic. Uh, I loved every bit of it from the ship that Sully originally arrived on, which coincidentally was shaped a lot like the Discovery in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Well, certainly. Reason, in the middle, big yeah. on each end. Reasons for that, um, the cylinder is the one of the strongest uh, natural constru constructs you can have end-to-end, -end. and so if you have thrust coming from one side, it's going to uh, hold up a lot better than you have everything else. So um, I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh, I enjoyed the bombers. They, call, they were called the Valkyries. In the, in the film? Is that the really big... The ship? big white triangular one? White triangular one. That they bombed Home Tree with. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I was thinking of the no, big one no. towards the end. I'm lying. It was the big white one towards the end. That's well, first they, first they came in... First they came in, they, they, they had two Valkyries on the ship at the beginning. And yeah. they shuttlecraft everybody down to the surface on them. 
Okay. Okay. That's the Valkyrie, and it did not attack Home Tree. I apologize. That was the uh, that was the Dragon dropship that attacked Home Tree. Right. So the bomber gave way to the weirdest name, weirdest call name in the military. <laughs> Papa Dragon. Yes. <laughs> Pop the dragon. dude was whacked in the head. I'm serious. Yeah, I really think he was like seriously like. How do they not know about PSTD or PTSD in this day and age, in this future? PTSD. Yeah. How do they? He was clearly suffering from PTSD. And um, and a fictional disorder where he thought he was a dragon. Yeah, and he was just allowed to keep command. I don't know. But um, going back to the Valkyries, the yes. the big white triangular ship. So a little bit of history is the United States Air Force had an experimental supersonic bomber back in the 70s, called the Valkyrie. And what did it look like? It was a gigantic white triangle. Yeah, seriously, oh. look it up. It's, it's fascinating. Actually, but, um, that is an interesting point, because you have a parallel between this and this movie and something from real life. Mm -hmm. And I think they made a, a different choice than Kubrick did in 2001, where 2001 jump forward and they're making these massive space leaps and have all these different things that we just don't have. Right. Cameron decided to keep it a little closer to home. Okay. A lot of his technology looks similar. The guns haven't changed hugely from what we have. The the airships, flying vehicles haven't changed hugely. Things have advanced, which I think is, is what's happened in real life is things that we didn't expect to advance have. You know, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, looking looking things up on this uh, on this film, it takes place in the year twenty one fifty four and uh, or thereabouts anyway. And so that's really only about a hundred and what is hundred and thirty years in the future. Long enough that we'll be dead before it happens. Oh, way dead. <laughs> yeah. Unless they come up with uh, well, no, that's a different movie we'll discuss later. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what, I, what I'm trying to say is I, I agree with you. I think back in back in the 68 when they created 2001, the future, 2001, was so far off in their minds. Yeah. But now we hindsight is 2020, right? And we look back at films like 2001 and think, holy crap. Yeah. You know, 68, 70, 70, 80, 98, 08. You know, that's less than 40 years. Yeah. They thought everything was going to change, they but it didn't. They really had high hopes for us. Yeah, so now they're trying to shoot for even farther in the future, 130 years in the future, and in addition, they're saying, we're not, not going We're not going to change all that much. I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, Torque. You're hearing that here for the first time. You're not getting that hoverboard from Back to the Future. <laughs> <laughs> not until at least 2154, right. maybe not even then. Yeah. Although, if you'd like yeah. to see a great alternative, Listen to the second part of this podcast where we uh, we talk about something almost as good as hoverboards. <laughs> as in almost as good, meaning what the hell? <laughs> we don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that yet. That's enough torture coming. Yes. Uh, let's not. I'm going to make you talk about it. We're going to talk about Mexus and healing tech uh, because yeah, the Mexus that was cool. The healing tech? The healing tech. Yeah. That, it, it, he, frequently, he, he verbally acknowledged, yeah, I could have gotten my legs back, but oh, didn't have money. the money for didn't it. Didn't have the money. Yeah. Stuck in a wheelchair. The, that's the thing we talked about earlier with the vet benefits. Mm-hmm. They have the, the healing the, tech. The VA is still strong in 2154. <laughs> right. <laughs> you had a wheelchair, boy. You don't need legs. <laughs> yeah. You're good. You're good. Just retire. It's all good. Oh, you man. Got, the healing tech came into play a few times. And when uh, Sigourney Weaver's character got shot, she probably could have been healed. Uh, they didn't 
those two fugitives. So they tried yeah. the voodoo magic and it didn't work. Right. It, yeah, that, that failed her hardcore. Yeah. Unfortunately. This is one of the rare movies uh, that, that Sigourney Weaver's character dies. I just thought about that. Is she, does she die in any other films? Usually You're making my brain work. I'm I know. I'm working on it. I know. Uh, Never mind. Yeah. Skip that. I can't think of anything. <laughs> Um, well, I guess technically she died. Technically, she died in Alien 3 when they were on the prison planet. Yeah, yeah. yeah she did. Technically, she died in Alien 3. But then she was cloned in Alien Resurrection. Because they can tell never. Right. And alien. she was made better, better, and more awesome. And worse. The movie was made worse. <laughs> they traded the movie's quality for the quality of the heroine. I'm uh, an asshole of Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, me too. But the tech in this, I'm sorry, the healing factor in this one, yeah, there was... They they probably could have helped her. I mean, it was just a it was just a gut shot. Yeah. You know, if they can heal a spinal, they can heal a gut shot. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. Yeah, they were running, so they didn't want to turn around and save her. And and of course, then again, our hero Sam Worthington, Jake Sully, he was like, the Navi can help her. Get her to the Navi. We gotta yeah. take her. Gotta take her to home tree. Hey, guess what? Spoilers, guys. They couldn't. No. No. They didn't help her at all. It was very dramatic. And then, you know, you, you think maybe she's saved for a second. Oh, did it work? Did it work? And then they pull her mask off and you're going, nope. It wasn't a bad thing, though. That was a promise. That's what I would call a storytelling promise. Uh, she could not survive there, but they took the moment to introduce the, the Navi's ability to move a person into their avatar body. Yeah. That way, when they did it for more of an uh, emotional reaction... They didn't have to explain what the hell was going on. We already knew. Yep, okay. agreed. Yeah, and Jim Cameron at his best again. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, going over, switching back over to the tech for a little bit uh, because I, I wanted to, you know, kind of mention everything. You had these awesome helicopters. Mm-hmm. Um, they had really good designs on the helicopters. They were about the size, and 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 we we were going to talk about the uh, what are they the birds again? Yeah, uh, and how big they were. Well, apparently, the bigger ones could throw those helicopters. The helicopters. That, they had a name. I looked up the name. A giant Leonopteryx. Leonopteryx, yes. So it's, in a way, it looks like they stole some of the, the ideology of the pterodactyl and the naming of this thing, mm-hmm. which makes sense because it's really a giant pterodactyl. With like four wings instead of two. Yeah. Yeah. And head fins. And head fins. Head fins. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was the the giant Leonopteryx. Obviously, was the big orange one that Jake rode, the, mm-hmm. the large bird that he bought his way back into the tribe with. Right. And in the main battle, it was just tossing these these helicopters side to side in the mountains, and those are like the size of Hueys, man. They're big helicopters, and it was just flinging them every which way. It was awesome. Yeah. The mech suits were very cool. The mech suits were very cool. They're brutish looking. Yes. Uh, these guys weren't going for style. James Cameron was Not going a... for realism here, and unless you are interested in the, having a knife on the <laughs> mech suit, because for some reason you could just build a knife into a mech suit, and that would be make more sense than yeah. hey, this guy has a holster for his knife. He pulls out his knife, and <laughs> yeah, fights with it. And then but I mean, having to drop it. That, and, and I agree with you there, but I mean, having the that's also extra cost. To build a knife into a mech suit—that's extra cost, extra bulk, you know that kind of stuff. If you just have a, if you just have a, a sheath, and you're already trained in hand-to-hand combat, and say you carry your knife there in regular, so it's already in natural motion to grab and yank it, it it makes sense. Yeah, you know, and that's what Cameron does. He makes things make sense. You know, that brings up a good point. Mm-hmm. The way they controlled the mechs 
yes. with their hands. They moved it around. I guess they were using a little bit of mind control. Maybe they're plugged in in the mind, but they just moved their hands around. And they could fight using hand-to-hand combat skills, as I know, as a human being. Right. To make the mech fight with hand-to-hand combat skills. That well, was really interesting. That was a leap from what we have now. That's be a very long time before we have similar right. setups in our vehicle. Um, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, it was very similar to how the mech, uh, mech suits worked in um, the Matrix Revolutions. Matrix yep. Revolutions. The worst Matrix. Yeah, I really like that one. Oh, we're going to do a Matrix one now. But <laughs> it was very similar to how those mech suits worked there. I mean, yep. they, had, they had foot pads. Yeah. And so you didn't ever saw this, but I, I'm a tech geek, so I'd like to, I had to find out. So I did a little research on these guys. And uh, they had the Waldo gloves, what they're called Waldo gloves, to imitate. Is that uh, a real world name or a yes, name? Yes, that's, that's a real world name. Waldo gloves. Waldo gloves. I don't remember the, the etymology of it, but that's something we can look sure up. Sure, it has something to do with where's Waldo. Uh, I don't think people so. lost their gloves a lot. I'm pretty sure that's not right. No. Um, <laughs> but they also they also had pedals in the bottom that they stepped on in order to make the legs move. Yeah. Um, which kind of works. Until you factor in all the cool moves he was doing with his legs. That doesn't work at all. That doesn't work at all. Now, this was <laughs> this was an attempt to go towards what Pacific Rim did, only more realistic. And there was, there was a few shortcomings, though, because of the cool stuff they also wanted to do with it. Right. If it was just pedals, it's just moving forward. Or backwards. Or backwards. Yeah. Uh, you, I mean, I could see where you could figure pedals, figure out how to do with pedals the side-to-side motion. But I'm talking like the detailed, almost dance-like steps he was doing. Right. When he was like fighting Sully. Yeah. spin to yeah. chop at the thing. That's not going to happen with pedals. Nope. nope. He was taking stances. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's not going to happen. But it looked really, really good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the cinematography, which, by the way, was the word I was thinking of earlier. Cinematography. I enjoyed the cinematography with the mechs. I, I really liked the, uh, the ship's. The dragon dropship that they used oh, to destroy yeah. Home Tree was badass. Yeah, um, that was a really cool ship. Yep, uh, it was massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably one of the few ships that really could stand up to the uh, it's always mount. And I loved the, the way they ship. used they used the size of the dragon dropship, which was massive, like you said, mm-hmm. to illustrate the size of Home Tree. Remember that scene? Oh yeah, Home Tree was massive. So and was, big. You knew how big this other thing was because you saw this uh, with humans near it. Now you're seeing this huge thing, which you know is huge, next to this tree and realizing that's a big tree. How are they going to bring that thing down? And of course they do. They did a non-lethal attack on everyone in there with smoke grenades to drive them out. Right. And then just burn the heck out of it with uh, incendiary missiles of some sort. Yeah. And uh, all that work they did to not harm the natives kind of went to to pot when the tree fell on some of them right yeah thousands of them well it's kind of okay it's their fault i mean who runs <laughs> who runs directly away from a tree no you go left or right because the tree's not falling there are you, you not victim, outrunning are you the victim tree? blaming you're victim blaming I'm how victim dare blaming. you <laughs> no, it was a very blink. it was a very it's stupid thing. Move. There was a Darwin move right there. And maybe that's what caused that was the scene where Sully's frustration came in. He said, "Go, go, go." Maybe and we didn't even see it. And he was saying, "Go, go, go, left or right." <laughs> and they just because they're going straight, and he's like, "You're gonna die." <laughs> he's trying to direct traffic. Maybe we, we just didn't flying? catch it. <laughs> this is why they have flags on the runway. Yep, exactly. Right. Work. 
Oh man, uh, but then that, uh, it's an outsider. It's one of those stories of an outsider coming in to save the native people. Uh, oftentimes, I feel like that's just ridiculous, and it's just a bunch of swapping of the main character. In this case, it made sense. Do you know the main why? Character. Do you know why I think Let's it made see sense? see if you have the same reason I do. I think it made sense because they took the first quarter of the movie and they made it all about Sully and his military background and his desire to get back into that. So much so that he actually uh, made mention of the Navi at one point as hippies. <laughs> hippies? Yeah, that's yeah. It's funny. That's one of my notes was they were hippies and tree huggers. Yeah, and, and that, that was his mentality towards it. And then... He finds them and he starts working with them and ostensibly, I guess, falls in love with Natiri there too, somewhere right. in that training period, and realizes they're not hippies. They're just people that are trying to live a life and we're getting ready to utterly destroy them. Well, they're just natives, but they are unique in their own way with their connection to the planet. It's not quite like uh, a human. A human can never get the same connections that a Navi could get because their plant is so much more connected, and in that way, there's a lot more. There's a lot more impressiveness mm -hmm. there. There's a lot more. I want to know what this is. Right. There is also an interesting thing that uh, I was curious about. When they plug up, do they share some level of consciousness? You mean when a Navi and a Navi connect their little tendrils yeah, or whatever? Their USB ports. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, they're USB ports. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think they sh they definitely do. Um, yeah. As evidenced in the scene where Jake connects with the horse, and yeah. you saw the horse's eyes dilate, and I mean it was it was definitely like a holy crap moment for both of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then Jake, of course, says forward, and mm -hmm. the horse just yeah. takes off. Flies off. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to bring that up because the the sex scene we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. they plugged up. Yeah, well, and I yeah. want to give a shout out to Sully for not letting his mind wander. What if he started thinking about the plants? Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, he could have started. Man. That whole betrayal scene could have started uh, way two scenes earlier. earlier. Yeah, two scenes earlier because it was sex scene, almost right back to hey, you're gonna get killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been bad. I've been wondering about that. I have questions. And you know, it's a, it's a valid question because we know from uh, Norm that they go through a lot of training in order to do this thing, and Sully had none of that. No, that's true. He, he had no training in controlling his thoughts. He had no training in, in you know, controlling a uh, <laughs> uh, uh, an avatar. And now he's thrust into this whole other world where he not only has to control his thoughts and his avatar, but he has to kind of control this horse thing um, and yeah. this banshee thing that he's yeah. trying to ride. And now he's with this girl and linking up with her head. Who obviously has had way more experience linking up with things just in the horse and banshee yeah. realm, and maybe with other guys too. Who knows? I mean, she's an older girl, you know. You think they're a you think they're a pretty monogamous group, but you never know. You she, never know. She could have gone through a wild phase. Yeah. Got, got with some of those cliff cliff dwellers we see towards the end of the movie. Yes, those and guys look shady. They look really shady. Yeah. They are your beatniks uh, and punk rockers. Knobby shady. Knobby shady. Mm. <laughs> So anyway, I think we pretty much covered this one. I do have a, a couple other things I wanted to talk about. All right. Yeah. First off, I wanted to take the opportunity to let you guys know that there's an interesting game you can play when you watch this movie next time. Uh, try to preface every time I say I see you 
with peekaboo. Oh, now, come on. Yeah, just do it. No. It's fun. Especially, <laughs> dude, especially dude, if you got a friend there, just go, peekaboo. Don't tell your not even, that, that, is their, that is their heartfelt emotional bond, and you're making a game out of it? Oh, yeah. Peekaboo. Oh, that's just not even nice. Yeah, they had that heartfelt moment inside the trailer when he's picking up this tiny little yeah. broken pink spot. I tear up every time. I say peekaboo. Oh, my God. <laughs> you just completely ruined that scene for me now. I'm telling you, pe- people got to get on board with the peekaboo thing. Uh, We've got don't. four more movies to do this. Please don't do peekaboo. we got to do it in no, theaters. Oh, God, no, we're not doing <laughs> peekaboo in theaters. Uh, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. But it is it is funny, because that's what I was thinking every time they said, I uh, see you. I was not, not an emotional guy at all. No, uh, but I love children's games. Well, yeah, clearly. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> all right. Uh, Anything else? Yeah, no, that's really it. Okay. That's really it. Well, hey, thanks for uh, hanging with us through our uh, discussion on Avatar. And we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be right back at you with Jupiter Ascending. Don't yeah. go nowhere. Hey, thanks for hanging with us. So, our second film of the day, we are going to be talking about Jupiter Ascending. Uh, This movie was written and directed by the Wachowskis, and it stars Channing Tatum and Mila Kunis. Yeah, so this was after the Wachowski brothers were no longer the Wachowski brothers. Right. With the the Wachowski brother and sister. It was, uh, at the filming of this, it was Lana and Andy. Now, of course, it's Lana and Lily. Yeah, this is a movie I don't think we agree on. So you get to hear us maybe have some disagreeing <laughs> views on this. Let me say that I got I got to get this out right at the beginning. It's this movie is goofy, it's cheesy, it's weird, and I love it. And the reason I love it is because it's like nothing else that was out there okay. uh, when this film was made. It didn't even come close to copycatting anything. And let me say, alternatively, that I'm pretty sure that this movie was made for 12 to 13 year old girls, and I was not the target audience, and I have a hard time figuring out if even 12 to 13 year old girls would actually enjoy this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. This was a fantasy. Complete. Complete fantasy. It was a bedroom fantasy, if you ask my opinion. It was the kind of... Hey, you know what would be really hot is if I was secretly a princess and Channing Tatum came to save me. And uh, if you yeah. mixed um, princess movies with sci-fi, yeah. Uh, do you remember how we were talking in Avatar about how every woman was strong? Yes. Since our lead, Mila Kunis, has to be saved constantly. That is her job, is to be saved and be the queen of the earth. You're right, except in one instance. What was that? The very end. Oh, you mean when she's running around and she still had to be saved. Sure, she did some of her own saving, but in the end, Channing Tatum's character... um, Channing Tatum only came in to save her because that whole thing fell and she was like falling through open space. Okay, yes, she has to be saved in that instance. But I'm talking about where she went up against Balaam. Or Balaam, or however you pronounce his name. The goofy-ass guy. The guy who talks really whispery. <laughs> right. She took him out. She did. She took, yeah. I mean, you. she took him out single-handedly. Boom. She wasn't a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weaselly entitled character, which is what they call 
I'm not sure, because last movie, Avatar, I figured a lot of you may have already seen it. Uh, this movie, I have no clue if you guys have seen it. So let's let's do a quick, should you see it, should you, shouldn't you see it. Um, <laughs> well, we're going to be split on that. Okay. We are going to be seeing it, so I'm going to do a really quick one, and then okay. we're going to treat the rest of this thing like you've seen it. Um, okay. Don't go see it. The acting is crap. The idea is crap. Uh, some of the sets are beautiful. Uh, the writing, the idea is crap. So don't go see this uh, unless you just want just just want to hurt yourself. Go see this film. Rent it. <laughs> buy it on Blu-ray. It is visually spectacular, as is so much of the Wachowski films. I mean, we're go- we're talking about Matrix. We're talking about Speed Racer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just do fantastic work. And, and this is no exception. Go see it because it's a fun movie. Is she a, t- a classic sci-fi trope, the, the lady that always has to be saved? Yes, absolutely. But is it done in a tongue-in-cheek way? Yes, again, absolutely. You can <laughs> see the power she has in herself later in the film. She evolves through this film yeah. uh, like no other character I can think of in recent times. And, and the idea of her savior being, and we're going to get a little spoiler here, being a cross between a, a dog and a guy... Come on, where have you seen that before? Nowhere. I mean, the closest was was uh, Barf the Mog on Spaceballs, and that was just a that was just a funny jab at Chewbacca. Well, this one, he yeah. actually had he had skills, dude. Right. I um, mean, he was he was he was military. He was built to do this saving shit. The difference is, I like Barf the Mog. <laughs> And you did not like Kane Wise. I guessing. did not like Kane. <laughs> Let's talk about Kane really quick. Okay. Kane was uh, a lycanthrope, is how they sold it. Pretty much. A little bit. I mean, well, he yeah. didn't change. A lycanthrope? I oh, think yeah. they said it was lycan or lycanthrope. They specifically said that. Yeah. But you're right. He didn't change. Here's how they made him a lycanthrope. Um, and I didn't know this is how it worked to make a half-human wolf character. But apparently what you require is facial hair and black eyeliner. And then you can be a lycanthrope, too. No, no, no. You've got to have the pointed ears. You missed his pointed ears. And you also missed his canines and incisors, the longer like the dog. I missed those the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> so what's really what's really interesting is we're focusing on the fact that he was part man, part dog. Yeah. But if we go the whole way, he was also he worked with Stinger in the in the group, the Alliance I group. Didn't mention his wings. And and he had wings, so he yeah. was actually part man, part dog, part bird. Yeah, that's not a okay. lichen rope. That's yeah. like yeah. I don't even know what that is. That's a mess. Is that that's a, a genetic mess. <laughs> It's By the a, way, he didn't have the muscles necessary to make those wings work. What's going on? <laughs> what was happening? When they showed him at the end, uh, I almost got kind of a biomechanical feel off of him. Yeah. Not, not trying to make excuses, mm. just saying. Okay. Maybe that was an excuse. I don't know. I'll roll with it. That wasn't my biggest gripe anyway. And that's um, frightening. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, some good things. I can say some good things about this movie. Yeah. Oh, let's start with this. Uh, Sean Bean didn't die. So Sean, there's a him. movie that Sean Bean did not die in. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's something. That's a big spoiler, especially for all you people who've seen Game of Thrones and were expecting him to go out right after the first act. <laughs> I'm glad to say he doesn't. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he was. A, I, you know, I like Sean Bean. I've liked Sean like Bean since I first saw him in The Fellowship of the Ring. 
And, I mean, he met a very untimely end there, obviously. Uh-huh. I would have loved to see him go through the whole trilogy with everybody, but... Uh, but you've read the books, so you know he has to yeah, die. Of course, of he course. Has to die. But, it, I've, but as far as Sean Bean, well, I really like Sean Bean as an actor. I liked him in, like I said, Lord of the Rings. I liked him in uh, um, National Treasure. I liked him in this movie. I think he's just got a very good way of acting about him. I can agree with that. I can say that Sean Bean may have been one of the higher points in the movie. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I'll agree with that. I liked his acting. I liked him. I I, I liked the bees. Uh, speaking of Sean Bean. That's cool. Was his house. That's cool. Bees. That was pretty neat. See, that's what I'm talking about with this movie. It attacks out of left field. You don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. Even that whole interlude where they go to that goofy planet where she's got to get uh, her her thing on her wrist that says she's the the queen or whatever. That's one of, on my list. That of, whole uh, part was completely... Like. You could literally pick that up and d- just done away with it. And mm. the movie would have been still fantastic without it. Without but the bureaucracy? Yeah. No, I love the bureaucracy. Oh, I'm Don't not saying that the bureaucracy. No, 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 no. I'm not saying it, was, it wasn't it was good. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was As a hilarious. matter of fact, Terry Gilliam from uh, Monty Python fame played the guy who actually did the tattoo on her wrist. <laughs> so that was a great little bit of, yeah, that was a great little bit of, uh, you know, this, sci-fi arcana history in there. This seems like something either he would come up with or Douglas Adams right. would have come up yes. with. Uh, it's yes. such it's such a trope. But it wasn't needed, is what I'm saying. Yeah. It was completely a self-contained biosphere that you could yeah. pick up and take out of the movie. It's amazing. And just t- you know, tell the audience she went to the back of the ship and had the tattoo done. It doesn't matter. No, it was That's great, what I'm saying. Though. It was great. It, it was, was great. funny. It was they a, shot a, the, the credit when he was bribing the guy. Oh, yeah. Shot the credit at <laughs> him, and that made me laugh. Because <laughs> you're thinking it's going to be real subtle, and then I'm like, no, no, it just shoots a credit, a little card, like a, a card right at the guy. The card falls to the ground. It's like, hey, you dropped something. They that's don't really what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what I'm talking care. about. That's the fun, campy part that of it. That I, that's that things amazing. that I like. That was There's amazing. so many of them that that's why it adds up to a good movie for me as opposed okay. to a bad movie for you. Uh, yeah, the other thing I liked was uh, the visuals, and you mentioned this. Stunning. I want to talk about one scene in particular where I thought the visuals were amazing. And one? The wedding scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could care less about the scenes on Earth. Well, they're visually fine. What about the Jupiter scene? The scenes on Jupiter were back and forth for me. I did think it was rather interesting to imagine that on Jupiter... There could be a place where people live underneath that I, that storm. Yeah, um, that the red is, spot. That is a neat idea. I right. like it. And it was rather neat to look at, but nothing was more amazing visually than the wedding scene. Yeah, the wedding scene was really, really good. Really I got I got to agree with you there. It was, it was visually stunning um, from everything from her dress to the goofy sims the faces that the sims had those purple and green looking faces Uh to the grandeur of having this gigantic cathedral on your spaceship just in case one day you want to get married (laughs) that that right there kind of sums up the whole abraxas children thing they're they're all about whatever they need yeah Yeah. they're they're all about give me the money and i'm just gonna yeah I'm going to build and build and have and have, and I'm going to be a... Yeah, they're hoarders, only they got the space to do it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that is right. So, I might need this someday. I think, yeah. Hey, uh, when you're building my ship, put a cathedral on there, will you? Yeah, I might need that. I might uh, need that. I don't know. I might not. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> the visuals were, were great. Um, Earth was whatever. When they did the visuals Well, it was Earth, Chicago. I like Chicago. I, yeah. Hey Chicago, this is a shout out to you. I like you. Hey Chicago, 
Suck it. <laughs> <laughs> this is bringing out the nasty side of us. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying it was it was Chicago. It wasn't like it wasn't like you know Rio de Janeiro or any place like that. You're saying Chicago. You're saying the shots on Earth were meh. Yeah, they were meh. It was Chicago. Well, you know who did Chicago well? Who? Blues Brothers. It okay. can be done. It can it, be done. Okay. Yeah. Well, I love thirty years ago. Thirty. Still, it was great. It was great. Actually, it was like forty I, years ago. Okay. First off. Blues Brothers had a high-speed chase through Chicago, and it was amazing. <laughs> it was beautiful. You should see him. He's so animated but, right now. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's a shame He's he waving can't. his arms around. I'm like, don't hit the mic. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very conscious of the mic. <laughs> Chicago was beautiful. And this, we have space skates. Those were so dumb. I'm sorry. No, I'm they were off awesome. Track. No, they were dumb. <laughs> space skates were dumb. <laughs> if you wanted to, you should have. If you were going to do Space Skates, you should have cast Brett Hall or someone from, from one of our wonderful hockey teams just, just to make it Brett was drunk. interesting. He was definitely... I'm sorry, Brett. Oh, I'm sorry, Brett. <laughs> yeah. We just we all saw you this year. But again... Just, just stick with you. <laughs> right. But again, the Space Skates are something you have not seen in anything. The um, closest you can get is Back to the Future Hoverboard. And that was a completely different concept. Yeah, no one, no one's done space skates before. I love how because I love how the so Wachowskis dumb. felt emboldened enough to go out on a limb and do things that nobody had ever done. I mean, I really, honestly think the development sessions for this movie were like, "Hey, let's think sci-fi. Now let's think of shit that's never ever been done. So, now, now let's think of shit that nobody will ever ever do. Right. That's what we want in this movie." <laughs> I think the development process went a little bit different. Okay. I think it went, hey, you know Twilight did well. So did Hunger <laughs> Games. So we got to come up with our own franchise, a new franchise. And oh. this didn't go anywhere. I don't think they're making another one of these. No, no. It's got a 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I don't think they will either, but, I mean, it'd be great if they did. That means 24% of people agreed with them, too. Yeah. Everyone else agrees with them. I am used to being the underdog. It doesn't <laughs> bug me. They have a, uh, uh, a thumbs up um, the rap on the back, <laughs> on the of, the back of the Blu-ray. I don't know who the rap is. Uh, the rap. What's what did the rap, rap say? Exciting and enthralling. Yes. Yeah, that's all they. That's all they have to say. They don't have anyone else because the Boston Globe doesn't want to talk about Jupiter. <laughs> they had other things to talk about. <laughs> they didn't care. Well, it, it did have a budget of 170 between 176 and 200 million, and the box office was 184 million. So it kind of it oh, just barely, just barely it made its money back. It might have. Yeah. Uh, if it had that two million, yeah, oh, it could have lost money. It could have lost money. It could have. But I'll tell you what: if it did lose money, it lost money on a great, oh, fun ride, man. Sure. I mean, I went and saw this in the theater. That's that tells okay. you right there. I was I when this came out, I, and I remember actually the the previews. I was watching it in, in the theater. And I'm like, hmm, okay, that seems kind of weird. I don't know about this. And then they released a different preview, of course, as they, as they do often. And I watched the second preview. And I'm like, I'm on board with that. Let's see this shit. Well, alternatively, <laughs> me and Mindy watched it together for the first time. This is probably the first time that she also hadn't seen the movie. I dutifully watched the whole thing. Uh, she napped. She napped. She napped. This is the first one she napped through, too. <laughs> Made it through all the... Jeff she... was watching the film going, oh, if this is how this podcast is going to be, I am out. 
I'm so no, what? out. I thought I thought we would have to do some bad movies sooner or later, but I thought it would be as bad like The Room. Right. Yeah, that, it was not. I'd love to do The Room on this podcast, but it's not sci-fi oriented. Not sci-fi. So then we, we might need, skip it. We need the space room, uh, Tommy. If you ever get a chance to make another movie, make the space room so we can make fun of you. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Tommy, please. And tell us where the hell you got all your money from. <laughs> Son of a bitch, dude. You... you that's... Finance that whole freaking movie to the tune of two million dollars for a return of two grand. Where the hell did you get your money? We want to know all about Tommy Wiseau. The, I think he's made his money back now. Now, well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Years. It depends on if they shared the because the, yeah, they did uh, the, the disaster artist, which was eons better than the room, right? Right, but I don't know if Tommy saw any of that money. <laughs> No, but people are still renting the room uh, or getting the room. It, I think it was on Netflix for us. That's because second. Tommy's girlfriend in that movie has great boobs. Let's be real. I can't remember her name. That's like I don't remember her name either. <laughs> Lisa, Lisa, you're tearing me apart. <laughs> oh my God, we're so off track. <laughs> oh, we are. Oh, so yes, I did this... not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no. Back yes. to Jupiter. So let's talk about the movie made for twelve to thirteen year old girls. <laughs> It's not the room. <laughs> <laughs> you could have fooled me. Okay. Uh, this movie about mommy issues. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of mommy issues, issues in this. Matter of fact, I think the only person that didn't have mommy issues in this film was Jupiter. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. She had daddy issues. Well, daddy died. Right. That can leave a hole in a person. A little bit. Yeah. Everyone else's mother had died as well. Yes. Uh, because uh, this weirdo killed her. Yes. He was weird. I don't... What was his name? Uh, Balaam. Balaam. Balaam, Balaam was of weird. Brassics. I could not do his voice. If you haven't seen this movie, uh, maybe you just pull up a YouTube I clip. I don't think that... That's it. You will understand what I'm doing here. That's it. That's, a, that's perfect. You live for 10,000 years. He talked like that, and every one of his lines... <laughs> the whole movie! Until every once in a while, he would flip the hell out. Okay, so here's the oh. real deal. So uh, many of you have heard of Eddie Redmayne now because of the uh, Harry Potter sequels, um, Fantastic Beasts, and Fantastic Beasts... Uh, oh, yeah. That was him. He played... Newt Scamander in those films, yes. This is the first movie I've seen, I saw with Eddie Redmayne, and I've got to say that I like the Fantastic Beasts movie less because he is in them. Because this movie soured me on that man so badly. Well, you could think maybe that this is this is his practice, like our first podcast. This that, was his practice uh, movie. Maybe so, but I they, really don't think so. <laughs> they did his practice movie with a two hundred million dollar budget. I really don't think so. I think he actually was in a lot of films um, oh. before this one. Oh, why? <laughs> I know who would hire the man. Yeah, look, he started acting in two thousand six. Okay. In a film called The Good Shepherd, he was in The Other Bowling Girl. These are all uh, pretty much English movies for the most part. 2015 was Jupiter Ascending, and then you got 16 with Fantastic Beasts, and 18 with Crimes of Grindelwald. Those are the ones that came before. Uh, I don't think I recognize any of these except for Les Well, again, no, again, I think they were pretty much English movies. They were all released over in... Maybe The Other Bowling Girl. I might recognize them. Great Britain. The Other Bowling Girl. And I think, he's, he's, yeah, he's got some television credit to, uh, to his name. Not a whole lot. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, Pillars of Earth. That's actually pretty good. Uh, Pillars Pillars of Earth. That's not really for our audience unless you are also fantasy. Mm. Uh, It's very, very much medieval. Okay, now he's been in in theater for about 10 years, too, and that I can totally see. Eddie Redmayne, I think, would excel at theater. I just don't think he does very well at film. 
Yeah, I think that would his, he would work if you need to overact so the audience could get a feeling. Right. That maybe that was kind of it. I, I mean, I hated his character. He did a great job in making me hate his character. But on the flip side, I didn't care for him. He, he yeah, <laughs> it was totally an overacting thing. He's no Joker. No, he's no Heath Ledger's Joker. No. He's no he he could get a job no. on Dark Knight, um, polishing Heath Ledger's boots. That would be about it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe as long as he didn't make eye contact with Heath Ledger. You can't make eye contact with Heath Ledger. No. <laughs> the first second he's, he pops up, do you like your boots, Mr. Ledger? He's, he's, Stop looking at me! <laughs> Heath is dead, and he would still down Eddie uh, Redmayne uh-huh. if you look at him. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, let's get back into this film. Um, oh, my God, we just got off track. <laughs> we got way off track. Hopefully we are, didn't lose you. Hopefully you're still there. We love you guys. Thanks for hanging with us. Back into Jupiter Ascending. So... Another more cool parts I thought was uh, again the refinery that uh, Balaam had there on Jupiter. I thought that was boy uh, visually very cool. That was um, a dark thing. That the was dis- the dark. destruction of it was extremely cool. Yeah, I didn't understand the direction destruction. So basically, the storm moved back in. No, no, no. What happened was when they the 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 gravity they they used gravity in some form to hold out the atmosphere, and that shield failed. And when it did, the atmosphere, it's very corrosive. Well, you saw what it was doing to the ships when the ships would come in without the tunnel being open. It was it was yeah. destroying the ships. Did the same thing to that refinery. So that was dumb. <laughs> they never they never explained why they even put a place on Jupiter. Was it important to have the place on Jupiter? He was he was an evil scientist y kind of guy. He had to have a lair. Okay. But I did like the whole and and his the whole kind of plot revolved around he wanted more than his brother and sister he wanted to get Earth so what better thing to do than put his lair where he can watch Earth? Yeah, I mean if you if you think Ooh, about we haven't talked about the plot right. So the whole plot was that um, Queen of Brassics you never really been for this this is <laughs> this is convoluted. You really never get her name, but Queen of Brassics who died you know like a millennia ago she owned Earth. And through genetics, her her uh, birthright to Earth passed down to um, Jupiter Jones. Just not by genetics. Earther. We're not saying they're related. It just so happens they're exact duplicates of each other. Space genetics. And they say that in the wide range of space, this happens every once in a while, and it's a big deal. Right. So um, Jupiter is kind of like the queen of Earth, although she doesn't know it. She's scrubbing toilets at the beginning of the film. Beginning and the end. Oh, yeah, she is scrubbing her guys in there. Yeah, I forgot about that. But she's also flying on space skates at the end. That's all she got out of this. (laughs) And Earth! I am the owner of Earth, and I still clean toilets, but I got space skates. And she's dating a really cool dog boy. So anyway, okay. she like owns Earth, right? And uh, lots of aliens want Earth because they can they can make this uh, serum that keeps them young. Uh, how does it keep Ooh. them young? Well, they take people and they they distill, they kill the people, they distill them down, and it makes this serum that they can bathe in or ingest or do whatever, and it keeps them young. Yeah, and they uh, literally have thousands and thousands of years. And apparently, they bunches of planets too. Each one of them has a bunch of planets that they're. What they say is they build up. They're the reason for a lot of stuff uh, happening on Earth and right. all these planets that push the society to the point that they they max out the planet. They're starting to use up the resources and they come in and harvest them and um, and make the serum. Yeah, we don't talk about all the other planets that are dying. We just sort of go like, let's save Earth. 
Well, I, you get the feeling that Earth is like a biggie. Uh, they definitely because get of, into it because of the population. Yeah. yeah, probably because it's just about to. It's like anything. Uh, anything after the money's been put into it, you've built up the product, and you're just about to get to the point uh, for harvest. It's probably the worst, the most, right before harvest. Well, sure. And this one apparently is right about to hit harvest time. So the abrasics uh, triplets, I guess they're not really triplets, but that's what you call them. It's um, um for me. yeah, it's Balaam is uh, one of them. He's uh, played by Eddie Redmayne. Titus Abrasics is played by Douglas Booth. Uh, and then, um, let's see, Tuppence Middleton, um, a name you don't hear very often in uh, American theater, is, uh, plays Kalik Abraxas, Balaam Titus' sister. She is kind of like, she's not a greedy bitch, surprisingly enough. It's like everybody in the Abraxas family is greedy except for Kalik. No, she she did care because yeah. uh, she, I think she benefited from her brother losing her. Mm. So she was one of the only ones. Yeah, she did say that. That's true. I think so. They so, all looked at each one of the, the siblings was a different type of uh, jerk. Well, yes. That yeah. is very true. Kalik was definitely the, the kind of jerk. You know, the uh, it's all about my appearance. I have to look young forever. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. So he was going to use uh, he was gonna use underhanded methods to get what he wanted. I believe he was going to marry Jupiter. That was that was Titus. Yeah. Oh, that was That's Titus. Titus. Now so, getting, oh. Titus was the guy who just wanted stuff. He didn't care about his appearance Kalik so much. Was the girl. But he, okay. he wanted. Yeah, Kalik was the girl. Titus was the younger, the the, the youngest of the Abraxas children. I think the point, the reason why we didn't delve into Kalik in this movie more is because this concerned her, but her need didn't oppose their needs right as much as the other two. Titus. Uh, was squandering his inheritance. inheritance yeah. uh, so he was just going to marry and kill her to have the earth. More money. Yeah, yeah exactly money. right. Um, the other guy, what was the other guy's name? Balaam. Balaam. I keep forgetting. He, his whole point in this movie was that, right or wrong, whether it was accurate or not, his whole point in this movie was Earth should be mine. Yeah, he already has the power and doesn't want to lose it. Exactly. And, yeah. and Earth needs to be mine. So anyway. It's sort of how... It's sort of interesting. You have three scopes. You have, I don't really care. I don't have it, and I want it, and I want it, or I have it, and I don't want to lose it. Yeah. Um, so those three were the Abrasics children, and they are they are they all embark on a uh, uh, quest, I guess, to obtain Jupiter for their own, so that they can maintain control, maintain or gain control of Earth mm-hmm. and its inhabitants in order to make this this serum that people apparently all throughout the universe, except for Earth, uh, like to buy and drink and stay young. Mm-hmm. So, knowing that, you 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 start off with these little creatures that come to kidnap. Uh, They're your little green men. Little, they, of... they look exactly like the classic alien little green men. Yes. Yeah, a little bit like the classic green men. Had uh, had a baby with Gollum, a little bit from Lord of the Rings, a little and, bit. Uh, didn't even didn't even have them. So they tried to kidnap uh, Jupiter and enter Kane Wise, the dog boy, famous dog boy, who is actually working for one of the other Abrasics children at the beginning, and he stops the little green men from from kidnapping her, only to kidnap her himself, uh, ostensibly to take him to Titus or take her to Titus. I'm sorry. But then there's some interference from, I believe, the uh, galactic government. I don't remember what they were from, but they're on, they come in on a, on a ship, and they kind of save Cain and Jupiter. And they're the ones that reveal kind of the whole plot to Jupiter and say, hey, you're basically the queen of Earth. 
you need we need to take you to this planet so you can get brought up on the ways you need you need you know all your manuals and stuff that tells you how to how to rule and yep. all the bureaucracy right they need to it's a bureaucracy planet um and so and it does it does feel as jeff said earlier t- taken right out of uh douglas adams i mean <laughs> yeah crazy he even did a, a, a video game do you remember infocom i remember infocom he did an infocom game for anyone who doesn't know what infocom is they did text adventures Gave you a description of a room, then told you you could type in what you were going to do. Right. Douglas Adams did one called Bureaucracy. Really? Yeah, see that? Never knew yeah. that. I'm going to have to look that up. You should. That you might should. be because I'm it. a big Douglas Adams fan. I played it. I got stuck. <laughs> yeah. Infocom was notoriously hard. Yes. Too. Because you had to really think your way through some stuff. And, and of course, text-based adventures, they only accept certain inputs, so you can try, you can say what you what you need to do, but if you don't say it exactly the way that the yeah. game wants you to hear it, right, you're, you're done. That's true. I have, I want to get back on track, yeah. and you brought up some stuff during your kind of explanation of what's going on. I have another gripe. Okay. Okay. So, here we go with Jupiter. Jupiter is a character who does not have weakness. I mean, she's weak. She's not, like, the best fighter. She, she's not, like, rich. But all the stuff that's bad about her life happens to her. She doesn't seem to have any flaws. And okay. that bugged me. There were no flaws for her to overcome. Um, when she's cleaning the toilets and all that stuff, it's not because she made a mistake. Her, no. She was just sort of it's pushed her there. job, yeah. She becomes queen of the universe. Well, queen of the earth. Queen of the whatever, earth. Owner of the earth. Being trying to be killed all the way there. That's happening to her. She's right. still pretty much perfect. So she doesn't have a great character arc, uh, which is what I would imagine no. from a, a fantasy. You're right. About the only character arc you, you've got with her is her overcoming her ignorance of the situation. I agree. And and that's the whole point of this thing is it's a fun romp. Uh, good guys versus bad guys, you know, and, and they throw in this bureaucracy um, for a little bit of levity. Not that the film really needed it, but, you know, that never hurts to make people laugh. And, and like you said earlier, the shooting the chip out. <laughs> that made me laugh. It made me laugh. So, I mean, that's a good thing. And like I said, that's why I like it. Not because it's a fantastic bit of cinematography or Not anything because else. because character arcs. Yeah, yeah. It's just that it was fun. It was just a fun movie. It was a different movie. It wasn't a remake. No, you know, it was its own thing. Yeah, it came out in 2015, which is like the, the land of remakes, you, you know. Yeah. So that's it that. It's not a remake, and that is an issue. Yes, in in Hollywood today, yeah. absolutely. So that's, that was it. That's why I liked it. I and I don't watch it a lot, but I do watch it often. I'd say mm. uh, I'd say. Matter of fact, it's funny. My wife asked me, "Which what movies are you guys, you guys doing this week?" And I told her, and she goes, "Well, we just watched Jupiter like two weeks ago." And I said, "I know." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know, let's do some final thoughts here. Okay, let's do some. I'm gonna do mine uh, really quickly because pros and cons. Pros. I think would be a short list. Sean Bean, pro. <laughs> Beautiful visuals, pro. Uh, then my cons. Do you want to do your pros? No, no, go ahead. Okay, my cons, everything else. Uh, this would be a great movie to watch. <laughs> no, if, come on. Yeah, okay. Don't escape that. Cons, okay, come on. Cons. Point, point at least two things out. You gave two pros. Give two cons. Give two real cons. There are no character arcs. Uh, the plot line is pretty cluttered. Okay. Uh, the story is cluttered. The writing is kind of iffy. Uh, it's going for a target audience that's not me. I'm pretty sure. 12 to 13 year old girls. And I can't 
can't even figure out if they would like it, <laughs> honestly. Uh, this would be a great movie to watch on a Sunday afternoon, because you can turn it on, get in your favorite easy chair, and take a nap. <laughs> okay. Uh, for me, um, so cons, uh, I agree with you with lack of character arcs. Uh, I also think that um, the writing suffered a bit. Um, I think that the Wachowskis were coming off of a lot of great hits, and maybe they just kind of phoned this one in a little bit. There could have, there were definitely places I thought in the film where uh, the dialogue was lacking. Okay, yeah. Pros, again, not a remake, original idea, completely different, out of left field. It was a fun romp. You can just go to the theater, you know, on a on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, and you pay your six, eight bucks, whatever it is, to get in. And you just kick back with some popcorn and just watch the shit hit the fan. Or take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks. Well, thanks for sticking with us through another episode of the Sci-Fi Crunch Roast. Again, you can reach us at Facebook. Just look us up at the Sci-Fi Crunch Roast. You can catch us on Twitter at Crunch Roast. And you can send us an email, crunchroast at gmail.com. Until the next time, I'm Vince. And I'm Jeff. And let's just... Put on Jupiter Ascending and go take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you out there.